Hello, Internet. I'm Ewan Spence. And I'm Jerry Avellino. Espresso latte. Espresso latte. I need a coffee sorter. But we've only got one about Eurovision. Yes, it's another Eurovision chat over a coffee when the great and the good and the man who helps us make sense of all this wonderful mystery of music that we gather around for every year. Jerry Avellino joins me. Hello, Jerry. Hi, Ewan. How are you? So, Jerry, a name that I think very few people are going to recognise, but if we used your sort of Eurovision stage name... <laughs> You're a big part of the community that everybody expects for every year, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. I've seen like yeah, that Eurovision stage name, um, Mr. Jerry Bear, which I, I've used on the internet on and off for the past like fifteen years now. Um, but it's it's kind of surreal to see people talking about um sorting their stuff and you know they're going to say, oh, I'm going to go do my Jer Bear now. Like, what does that even mean outside of the Eurovision context, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, so it's just kind of weird to know that my name is now has now been verbed into something in the Eurovision context. I mean, just not, I'm trying to think, hey, who else would have a verbed name in Eurovision? It's just you. Hmm. <laughs> I, I guess. Um but even so, I, I know there's some corners of the internet who still, you know, somehow haven't found my sorter because, like, it's all word of mouth. It's somebody asks, oh, where can I find that thing where you can sort things? And somebody will inevitably come and link my site. And, and, and that's just how it spreads. I just don't, I don't, I don't really um, promote it besides on my Twitter anymore. Um, and I guess it does help um, because I do also um, write a bit for Eurovois and my site is hosted on Eurovois. So whenever it, you know, whenever I get around to actually posting my sorter, they post it. And yeah, I guess that's where, that's just how I get, it, it's, it, I, know, I don't know, it's just kind of crazy to me that it's, it got so widespread when it just started out as a tool for me personally to try to figure out what my favorites were in a particular year. So we should talk briefly about it because there will, as you said, there there'll be one or two people out there who've not come across the Eurovision favorite sorter. So tell us a bit about it. Tell us how it works. Okay, so basically, it takes all of the songs and it basically asks you to choose one over the other. And when you do that enough times, basically you'll end up with a ranked list of the songs. This uh, neat bit of code that I found floating around on the internet. It was originally made to figure out who your favorite was uh, from a certain um, Japanese pop group. Um, and that's what the sorter used to be used for um, back before I turned it into a Eurovision thing. It's usually, hey, who's your favorite person out of this pop group? What's your favorite song from their discography, whatever. And then I thought, you know what? Eurovision fans love sorting their favorites. And especially in a difficult year when, you know, when the playing field is kind of even, 
it's going to be hard to figure it out. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to modify this and make it so that you can sort your Eurovision faves. And it, it just worked out for there. So in the beginning, I even had um, buttons to say, oh, I have no preference or I don't like either of these. And then people started complaining like, hey, this isn't really sorting my songs. I, I get a lot of, you know, I get a lot of tied places in the end. So it's not really giving me anything. So I just thought, you know what, I'm going to take those um, no preference buttons that way and that way you'll actually have a proper rank um but yeah so that's that's all it does really it compares two things and if you pick one over others consistently then it's going to rank that higher so essentially it's it's a pair of songs and you, as a eurovision fan you're asked which one do you it just it, and it just says battle it doesn't say which one do you like more which one do you think is going to win it's just choose one yep exactly it's completely up to you how you want to interpret the instructions of choosing one. Um, a lot of people do it based on their own preference. A lot of people do it based on which they think they'll win. And both, you know, that, that, that's equally valid. And I think a lot of people do know how to separate their preferences, their personal preferences from what they think is actually going to come out on top when the points get added up at the end of the day. So, yeah, it's it's just wh- however you think you should sort these songs, you can do it. So what year did you first put it online? So I first put it online in 2013. The first Eurovision I actually watched um, live on TV, well, on, on the internet, was 2012. So the year after that, I you know, I immediately just dove like head into this crazy Eurovision fandom and you know that's when I first did this sorter I put it on my um I put it on Tumblr back then when they were more lenient on what you could what kind of code you could host on their websites um so yeah that's when I started 2013 so what did you do in 2012 then to select your song oh I I had honestly no idea what Eurovision was in 2012 until I actually started watching so I wasn't there during the national finals. I didn't know what the songs were coming into the show. So that was like my only time watching Eurovision completely without knowing. So did you come in at the semifinal stage or is it just let's do the Saturday night from Baku? Yeah, I did come in during the semifinal stage. So I at least you know was able to watch all of those. Um, I don't think I particularly thought about which of these songs are my favorites or whatever. I just ended up, you know, playing some on loop over and over again, annoying my family in the background. But um, yeah, it was only after your vision 2012 that I thought more seriously about, you know, which of these songs do I actually really like more than the others? Which do I think might win? Which do I think, you know, sound better? And I, I guess it was during that national final season in 2013 that I thought, you know, what? let's get something to help me sort this out. What made you come back to Eurovision? And and by that, I mean, you've watched the 2012 contest for the first time. You've, well, everybody watched the 2012 contest for the first time in 2012, but you watched Eurovision for the first time in 2012. Why did you decide to keep watching it? Why did you decide I'm going to go in for the national finals? What hooked you in to come back again for another year? So the thing is, I've always been interested in these big non-sporting international competitions 
Um, so I was born and raised in the Philippines, and the Philippines always goes crazy over over beauty pageants like Miss Universe. And you know, I wasn't watching it particularly for the women. I was watching it because there's this kind of cultural battle going on in the background, like which of these women have the better national costume, which of them have, you know, uh, uh, a talent based on their culture. And then, so I, I was already really interested in that, that aspect of it. And then, so when I heard about Eurovision in 2012, I just thought, you know, where was this all my life? Like, it's literally the thing that, it's, it's, it's the contest that I wanted to watch. Precisely because I already enjoyed um, pop music that wasn't in English. That that's kind of my, my priority. Like, what are these songs that are not you know American British pop things that you hear on the radio all the time? So when I heard about Eurovision, I just you know I just thought, you know, I love the whole cultural aspect of the competition. I love seeing all these different genres, all these different people from everywhere doing all these different things on stage in such a, you know, in such a polished, such a, it's, it's in such a huge way. So I, ju I just got really hooked because of the fact that we got to see so much diversity at Eurovision. And, you know, yeah, I, I just never looked back. I mean, every year, not just from Eurovision and then, you know, getting to see the national finals and then getting to see other Eurovision-based um, contests like Liet International, for example, or even more recently, you know, American Song Contest. I'm a sucker for these shows that get people together from a wide range of backgrounds, languages, cultures. Um, so, yeah, that that's basically why I got hooked into it. What's the time zone like? What time is like Eurovision and national finals on for you then? Is it like a lunchtime show then for you? Yeah, absolutely. Like when I was in California, right now I live in New Jersey, so it's three hours. Um, yeah, so back in California, it was consistently around, exactly around noon. It was 12 o'clock on the dot, Eurovision would start. Um, here, it's more like three in the afternoon. Um, I've actually haven't watched Eurovision yet from New Jersey because I went back to California specifically to watch it with my friends over there, um, hosted a little party. So this year will be the first time I'll actually be watching it from New Jersey at three in the afternoon. So it's like a kind of like a post lunchtime um, afternoon snack kind of show rather than lunchtime. <laughs> is there going to be a New Jersey party then? I don't know. We'll see. Um uh, uh, most of the friends I have here are my grad school friends because, um, yeah, I'm in grad school for linguistics, but some of them might be interested in coming to watch. Um, we'll see. I, there's still time to to plan. It's like a, a month-ish away. Okay, so you've got Eurovision in Baku. You, I mean, did, did you know then at, at the end of Baku that that's it? We're going to Sweden next year. That's where we're going because they've won. Yeah, definitely. That's because when I get into something, I will devour everything about it on the internet. I, you know, get on Wikipedia, figure out how this works, and then get on the actual Eurovision website, and then, you know, just look through all that history. So it wasn't basically like, okay, here's 2012. I'm going to wait until next year for the next contest. I started looking at previous contests. I went to like 
2011, 2010, and then I tried to, I, you know, keep kept going back. Um, I haven't watched them all yet, but that's mostly because I've been, you know, too busy to actually do that. But eventually, I will. I've watched a bunch of them. Um, yeah, so that's ba- that's basically how how I how I did it. I, <laughs> after 2012, I just like went back and tried everything. I I find that fascinating because you know for myself, you know, I my first Eurovision memories are the very early eighties, you know, see, like like nineteen eighty two. It's kind of clouded now because I've went back to watch all the old contests and everything. But it's like I just instinctively know these things. It's like this community knowledge of this is how Eurovision works. Yeah. But you you it sounds like you went from nothing, 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 nothing inhale sharply everything 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 yeah that's exactly how it is yeah what was the most surprising thing when you're doing that you know inhaling and reading back and trying to get a whole grip on everything what was what was the amazing things what 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 made eurovision so wow with all that history i think one of the things that really fascinated me and this is it's just so it feels so stupid to even think about but i the the voting sequences always fascinated me because you have all these people in succession going from country to country and they're like having their little small talk at the beginning and then announcing their points and it always takes so much time and there's always just so much like um for for going on when it's just you know numbers on a screen i don't know there's something that just glued me to that aspect of it that there's so much um pomp and circumstance going on just with adding all these numbers. And then there's also the fact that people say, oh, your vision is not, not political. It's not supposed to be like this or like that. When, you know, it's absolutely, you know, a geopolitical contest too. Like people would say, oh, you know, people oh, people always vote for their favorite, will always vote for their favorites. It's always the best song that wins. But there, you know, you always do see these cultural links with how each country gives their points and you know seeing those links like so explicitly for example you know in greece and cyprus will always give each other 12 points when they're both in the final that's a given um you'll always have you know a voting block in in the baltics in the balkans in um you know northern europe and to me, that seems like a very obvious thing. When you have cultural ties, you're going to want to vote for the things that sound familiar to you. And I feel like some Eurovision fans don't understand that these cultural ties are are important. It's not like everybody's going to be super 100% objective. I'm never going to vote for... I'm not going to vote for them just because they're my neighbors. Um, but yeah, you're... You, People usually do because those are the sounds that they are familiar with. And so there's just all this um, cultural interaction with Eurovision. And and I don't think it's surprising, but it's just really interesting to see, especially from a perspective of like of not being somebody in that's represented at Eurovision. How does that compare to the Miss Universes and Miss Worlds? Because the only thing I know about their scoring is Steve Harvey got it wrong once. Yeah, no, it's weird because they don't really have points from national juries or national televotes like 
um, like Eurovision does. They they do it. They they have a panel of judges from around the world. Yes, but then we don't really get to see. Oh, here's people judging this person more because they're from a certain country. It's more like at Miss Universe. It's more like you're seeing. Oh, they're. It seems like they're only always voting for the countries that are more well known, and it's always the same countries that keep going into the final every time. Um, yeah, so it, it's definitely very different, especially because it's you get to see these more global cultural ties. Like you always get to see at Miss Universe points going to you know Miss USA. You'd see points going to like Miss India, Miss Japan. Um, always those countries with big cultural power. But then at Eurovision, you get to see that a lot more. You get to see that in a more, in smaller patterns with countries that are not necessarily globally known in countries that have their own cultural ties with other countries around them rather than, oh, we're just going to give points to, for example, the UK, because everybody loves the UK. No, that, that isn't the case at Eurovision at all. And we've seen that very clearly in most recent years. Um, yeah, so that that's the big difference between a contest like Miss Universe and Eurovision. Mm-hmm. At your at Miss Universe, it's more global power, but at like at Eurovision, you definitely see those regional alliances coming together. And I don't think that's a bad thing. It's just really interesting to see. What about with your linguistics hat on? What do you see at Eurovision there that just attracts you? One of the things definitely attracted to Eurovision as a linguist is the fact that it's a huge stage where you're likely to see other languages besides English. Um, now, it's very obvious that, especially without the language rule in place, that Eurovision has become more and more homogeneously English. Um, but even if that is the case, you hear all these different varieties of English on stage. So it's not just one English that you hear. You would hear so many different, you know, second language speakers of English interpret their songs in their own variety of English. So whether it's you know a completely different language that you would hear on stage or you know, a variety of English. It's all just so different and interesting to see how it works out. Um, I've written papers for class about Eurovision. In a social linguistics class, for example, I wrote about you know this increasing use of English at Eurovision. Um, and for another class, I wrote about specifically how um, how Moldova Eurovision entries that um, that that are performed in English still have these quirks in their use of English that tie them very closely to their Eastern European identity and that reflect their native languages. So there's just so much to look at when it comes to to language because language is something that people can't separate from culture. No matter what language you speak, no matter what culture you're in, even if you speak somebody else's, some other culture's language, it'll still reflect exactly what your particular culture is. Um, that's, just, that's, that's just super fascinating. I mean, my current grad school specialization is more like formal theoretical linguistics, 
rather than sociolinguistics. So your vision is kind of the the avenue for me to you know look at examine all these cool sociolinguistic things going on with language in Europe. Um, like it's just super super intriguing to me to see. Um, I like for example I went to study abroad in France um, in 2019. 2018, 2019. And um, so I've, I've always kind of been into seeing how the French government and the French media talk about their Eurovision entries. For example, when um, when Bilal Hassani won the French national final and their song was all, you know, in a mix of English and French. And to see the the vitriol that they got, not just because of their gender expression, but because of the mix of language. It's so, it's just so wild to me to see how fiercely certain people defend their language. Um, for example, this year, there are no Eurovision songs in French this year. Even the French, um, the French participant is singing in Breton. And even, so, even then, it's still a language that people in France speak but then I've seen articles from um, talking about French politicians saying, oh, there's, they're not singing in French. That's not something that we want to show to the world. So there's just so much going on with language, culture, geopolitics. And you can see a lot of that happening right, right here with Eurovision. So do you think then that France, I mean, France not singing in French is something we've all seen and we're all aware that Breton's up for the second time. Does that mean that the French don't regard Breton as French? There's this um, really interesting thing about the French government in particular and the way that they promote French to the detriment of all the minority languages spoken there, like Breton, like Corsican, like Picard, like all those other um, languages in France. There's something, yes, the, these languages are spoken by French people in France, but there's something about French identity that sort of doesn't accept them completely as French, that accept that kind of treats them as other. Like we're French, we speak French, but some people also speak these, but primarily they are French and they should speak French. And um, yeah, and it's, it's something that France, I think, has a lot of, you know, growing up to do. Um, they only really promote French and the French language and all these other languages that are basically off the fence for themselves and, you know, try to make their own identity out of it. And yeah, I, I, I think it's a problem. And I think France is one of the more, the stricter countries when it comes to linguistic purism of French. Um, and I was just arguing something on the internet about this recently too. And I said, you know, the Académie Française, the language regulators, they're not there. They're not going to be able to control how people speak. They're just there to talk about, hey, here's how people are supposed to speak. But they don't control you. you your language is your own, no matter what some language regulator says. They can control how people write, how people do things in the academe or in government but not how individuals use their own language. Um, and that's basically how I feel about how France treats minority languages. 
it's not not great. And once more, I find myself going, Eurovision itself is able to hold up this cultural mirror and to help me understand that 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 single tiny facet of a country through a three-minute song and then another three-minute song and another three-minute song and another three-minute song. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the fact that we only get those, you know, those cultural insights from three-minute chunks it's amazing how much you know how much stuff can be packed into that 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 little bit of song yeah and of course that all winds back to the sorter um now the code is very clean so you do not have this massive backlog of collected data of everybody sorting do you no um first off i think it would be both unethical and illegal to collect that data without um saying so in the first place um but yeah all it does is just it's all on your it's all on your end like i don't collect any data from it so there's not much i can really say with regards to oh people always select this over that um i do sometimes collect people's rankings they would post screenshots of it on social media and sometimes i collect them and say hmm that's interesting there's trends going on for that way but um when it comes to predicting who people think will win or who people would vote for i think that's best left to other avenues how is it how accurate has it been for your feelings because obviously it disorder puts things in this very very clinical left or right black or white good or bad sweden everybody else sort of mode so <laughs> you know when you take the results your results and then you go to well how does it feel in my spotify does it generally land about right or do you still get your own personal outliers of how come I've got that down in 30th? For me, I feel like I can't use a sorter mm -hmm. anymore because I know exactly how to game it. Like I like when I, you know, when I select one song over the other and then eventually you get to a point you're saying, okay, at, at this point, if I'm selecting this song, it'll be in position number yeah. three. Like if I've just used it so much that I know where, where I want to, if I, the, the preferences that I already have, I can express it through the sorter yeah. <laughs> immediately. Um, so, in in one way, I guess it I, it's outlived its use for me personally because <laughs> I can't really use it to be objective anymore. It helps a lot of people figure out what the, who what their favorites are, but for me, I think the exercise has been how do I make the sorter itself show what I. Um, and when I do that, it's, it, I, I also just think like, okay, I'm going to select the song over the other end because I listen to it more because when I play it back in my head, it makes me feel better than if I play the other one back in my head. So, so yeah, it, I think it would always show my preferences at the moment. I don't think it always shows it like... 100% completely objectively because sometimes there's just songs in, you know songs in the middle of the field that I don't really care one way or the other whether this song is better than the other but mostly for like the top five top ten and I've, those are always consistent like I I kind of always know how to make them land exactly the way they go um, and even if I'm not thinking about it that way that's usually how it goes anyway so 
Yeah. Like, yeah, especially the, the, the very tops and the very bottoms. Those are the ones that are most consistent. And I think that's, that's the case for anybody who uses this order regularly too. Like they consistently see the same songs on the top and the bottom, no matter when they do it, no matter like what they're feeling on a certain day or whatever. Yeah. So those of you who are thinking, oh, what does that mean for the jury where they have to rank every song and there's this, this big amorphous collection in the middle? See? <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's exactly exactly it's really tough. Like you would only really rank high the songs that made a good impression. You would rank low the songs that you really hated. But everything else in between, where do they go exactly? Um, so yeah, maybe they could use my sorter and they will figure out an exact number to put on their scores, you know. But <laughs> otherwise, how do they do it? It's it's arbitrary. In the and end, of course, of at Eurovision, you can only score in the top 10. So song can be 11th at the top of that little mix in the middle and it'll never go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, if you just don't really, if a juror, for example, doesn't care very much about what goes in there, number 11 to 15, but then somebody else does care about that song more, the fact that they rated the song a certain way will affect somebody else's score. You know, and then it might affect the score that gives that's that's given at the end of the day. So, even if these middling songs aren't, you know, are hard to really place exactly in somebody's mind and in the order that they have in their mind, they might still affect the final result. So, I think that makes you know a Eurovision juror's job much harder. But at the same time, you know, I've never been a juror. I, I don't know how they're how they're told to do these things. Um, maybe they do always rank things on their preference, ideally all the time, but I doubt that's the case. Anyway, if they if those juror members want to find your sorter or anybody else does, how do they find it? Um, you will always find it pinned to the top of my Twitter page. That's um, Mr. Jerbear on Twitter. Um, or you can go to my website. It's esc.jerbear.com. Um, the main page isn't very fancy just yet, but you'll find the link to all the sorters right there. I, th- I think they call it retro, uh, not not fancy nowadays. Yeah, it's very, very HTML 1.0, like back in the day. You just type. No, no, no. You've got columns there. That's not HTML 1.0. That's, no. that's Dreamweaver 2 columns right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. But the main page where everything is linked literally just plain text basically if it does the job it does the job and Absolutely. it does the job for so many people in the community <laughs> every single year and they say the new sorters up Hooray! and the, the party starts and everybody goes through and they all start ranking the orders uh jerry it's been delight to talk to you absolutely it's been it's been really fun thank you so much for having me not a problem. Uh, links is always back at our website, www.escinsight.com, and we will have a direct link there through to the sorter. Uh, you can also support us, patreon.com slash escinsight as well, who will get a little early preview uh, of this podcast as well, just to say thank you for that. But for everybody, really, just the shares, the links, the likes, the love, and all the usual stuff that you do on the socials, all very much appreciated as we head towards Turin 2022. And uh, the sorting will stop, the scores will commence, and we will find an actual definitive winner and we'll start this process all over again jerry thanks once more thanks for having me it's been it's been a blast thanks for having me do you want to call for the guitars do it 
This is the Insight Chat over coffee, which is hosted by Ewan Spence with Jerry Avellino. Find out more at www.escinsight.com, www.gerbear.com.